expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information, go to KUCI.org or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Hey friends, good morning. My name is Dinah and you're listening to Thought Bubbles on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine a show where I discuss superheroes and the latest comic book news. So before we get into the comic book discussion for this week, I wanted to talk about something briefly that is not strictly comic books, but kind of comic book adjacent. It's close enough. It's Star Wars related. So last week, I tagged along with my sister Sam. Y'all might remember her from a few weeks ago when I interviewed her, as she had to write about a local event for her journalism class. So she finds out about a tournament for lightsaber sword fighting in our neighborhood. And when we get there, she interviews them and they're setting it for practice and they have extra gear. So they let Sam and I practice as well. And I'm only bringing this up just because it was something that I had no idea existed five hours prior to going to this event. But it was one of the most fun things I have done in a year and a half since we have been stuck inside our homes because of COVID. And it was just a super, super fun experience. And it was really exciting getting to see other people who are also passionate about Star Wars. And they found a way to turn it into a sport and something that they can do as a hobby that's... Obviously, Star Wars is a hobby. Like, here I am talking about comic books to a whole bunch of strangers on the radio. That is a hobby. Talking about comic books is a hobby. So talking about Star Wars is just as much of a hobby, but I just thought this was such a really interesting way of turning it into something new and turning it into a new kind of community. And yeah, it's just what it sounds like. It's hitting people with glowing sticks, but it's more structured than that. There is actual competitions and tournaments, and you can have like different levels, and it's a lot like fencing. But yeah, so going to this light speed saber event was just this super awesome discovery for me and it was a blast getting to try it. So it seemed like something that was right up your guys' alley and I wanted to share that experience with you all. They've got setups sort of all over the place, so certainly if you think it'd be cool, feel free to check it out for yourselves. It was a wonderful experience. Okay, now on to comic books. So, I actually want to start this week by talking about something not superhero related, which is kind of a rarity for me since I mainly read Marvel and DC superhero comics, that's where my interests lie, but I did start reading The Walking Dead comic book last week because, well, to be honest, it's mostly because Jesus is still in it and I watched the show for many, many years. I've had the comic sitting around for ages, and it's something that I really wanted to read, but with the last season of the show incoming, now kind of seemed like the perfect opportunity to actually start. So 
I actually didn't like it quite as much as the show. I'm reading it as Compendium 1, which contains the first eight chapters of The Walking Dead run, which isn't broken up into issues at all, so I don't actually know what issue I'm on. But I'm somewhere in the middle of the prison arc and wanted to go back and watch the first few episodes to see sort of how they compare and what the similarities and what the differences are, which I thought was really very fascinating to watch because the, so the comic opens on a shootout between police officers Shane and Rick, who's our main character, and a man with a gun. Now this shootout takes the first page of the comic book, which ends with Rick getting shot and landing himself in a coma. So when the show opens on a police car driving down quite a similar looking road, the, or at least my first assumption is that this is going to lead right into the gunfight that opens the comic book, but it doesn't. It starts with a slight peek into the future where Rick is already awake and familiar with what has happened to the world with zombies, which in the comic book, he wakes up in a coma like three months into the apocalypse, having no idea what's happened. So this is kind of the same narrative that you're expecting the show to follow, where it opens with this police shootout where he gets shot, lands himself in a coma, but it doesn't open with that. And then later when you do get to the shootout and Rick does eventually get shot, he falls to the ground and you assume, oh, coma time, but Rick stands up again and he starts unbuttoning his shirt and you realize, oh, he's wearing a protective vest underneath. He's fine. He's not, he's not injured at all. He's not in a coma. And then it's only after that, that it's revealed there was another man in the car and that man shoots Rick, landing Rick in a coma. So I think that this is a very clever way of sort of twisting these moments on their head for people coming into the show with comics knowledge and from the perspective of the comics, sort of expecting things to go a certain way. And it tells these readers that, hey, you can't just skate by with your prior knowledge. You have to be on your toes for the unexpected too, because just because you know these characters already and you sort of know the general plot lines doesn't mean that you know everything that's going to happen and that you're safe from this apocalypse, which is like super interesting and a really great way to tie in the the same narrative beats that happen in the comic while still making it really fresh for those readers as well. But in addition to this, I think that the show also in general sort of utilizes suspense and eeriness more than the comic book does because they're different mediums and the focus is a bit different and it's a bit easier in my opinion at least to provide suspense in something like television or movies than it is in a comic book or even like a written book. So I just thought it was interesting how they played up zombies as a little bit more of not something to be afraid of because the book does a really good job of 
making these zombies seem creepy and like a threat, but they are a little bit more of, I feel like, a known threat in the comic book. They are openly referenced as zombies, and there's jokes about how, oh, it took us a long time to be able to call them zombies, and it just seems to me that there's a little bit more that the people have a little bit more of a handle on them in the book. They're like, oh, as long as you don't let them surround you, they're not that much of a threat, etc, etc. Which works really well in the book, and I'll get to that in a second. But I think it's cool how the show definitely leaned into the undeadness of them a little bit more and sort of how freaky that can be. And also, the show, one of the biggest changes I think is in the show, they're not quote-unquote zombies. They are walkers or roamers or whatever other people call them. There seems to be no sense of zombies. So that was just, it was interesting for me re-watching a little bit of the show having just read the comic book. But I do like how the comic book sort of keeps its focus more on the people and really from their perspective on how this whole thing looks and rebuilding community because the entire focus for them, there's th there's already three different places because they, the Rick and his main group leave the camp and they come across this in gated enclosed community and their first thought is, oh, a place to rebuild. And again, they get to Herschel's and they're like, a place to rebuild, a place to live our life. And the prison is really focused on, this is where we can rebuild our world. We can start a new life here. We're gonna focus on making clothing and making food and growing crops and creating a home which the show does too, but the show I feel like has to rely more on the threat of zombies. While it feels like so much of the book, The Walking Dead, the, the zombies, the roamers, the walkers, whatever you wanna call them, are so secondary in this really cool way, like especially in the prison where Rick and his group are aware of the zombies at all times and at all moments are like, these are a threat but they're kind of a background threat. As long as they're able to keep themselves contained within the walls and keep those, those gates protected, the zombies are a secondary threat and the main threat is, not main threat, but the main goal is creating a new life. So I just really love that direction that the comic book takes and how it is a book about zombies but the zombies could not be less of the focus, which I'm enjoying quite a lot. So I'm definitely gonna keep reading it, uh, as I said at the beginning of the segment, at least until Jesus shows up because he's just a little bit um, <laughs> the main reason why I'm reading this. So maybe I'll update you guys when I get to him. But now I want to switch into some more recent comics and back to superhero comics with the recent issue of Detective Comics from, I believe, last Tuesday, because I thought the issue was, like, really, really good. It was super Bruce Wayne-centered, which I love, and Sam and I were talking a little bit about this when we had our segment, because Bruce was suited up as Batman for, what, two pages? And then the rest of it was just him as Bruce Wayne. 
So I'm really loving the Bruce content. I think that it's, it adds a different flavor and a different pace to the book, which was really nice and really, like, broke up what's been happening recently. Uh, and also, it means that there's a lot of Bruce, which is super sweet because Dan Mora came back, and I really missed his art because it's so pretty, and Bruce looked so pretty, so everybody say thank you, Dan Mora. I also thought that these issues were a lot better than some of the previous- well, not a lot better. I thought these issues were better than the previous issues, which I don't have anything wrong with the previous issues. They've all been fine. I've had no real issue with them. I just didn't think that they were sort of anything special at all. There was a lot of just plot revelation in the past few episodes. A lot of, this is our bad guy, and this is what he's doing, and this is his story, and I'm kind of not all that interested in the bug creature that I still don't know the name of or anything. It's a cool villain and all that, but I don't really think it's anything super special. I'm- it's not really why I'm reading or enjoying the book, so there was a lot of that in the past few issues which I just- I'm not quite as interested in. So a Bruce-focused issue like this one was super enjoyable and broke that up a lot. Yeah, these ones I've just been enjoying a lot more. I loved the sequence of- of course this is the one part of the issue where Bruce is suited up, but I love the sequence with the drunk man sitting next to Bruce who's like, you're Batman. And then we- like, there's this little story about how, oh, I saw you on the rooftop and you were fighting Joker because it's always Joker, and you got something in your eyes so you pull your cowl off. And he's like, I'm still not sure if it's true. It's Gotham, and it's Batman and Bruce Wayne. I don't know if any of it is true. But I thought it was both a very fun anecdote about Bruce and about Batman, and also a super cool peek into Gotham life and what Gotham looks like for just its average citizens as this man tells a story and he even sort of- so much of the story is laced with this is Gotham and Batman, it's an urban legend, and when something like this happens you just run. So I thought it was really interesting and as I was talking about last time with Sam, this is what makes this issue or this run right now special is sort of that we're seeing a lot more of Bruce's life and of Gotham and the intersection between those with Batman and how other outside forces and people view the Batman. So I thought that was really special. Okay, just as a friendly reminder, I'm Dinah and you're listening to Thought Bubbles on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Right now I am talking about the most recent issue of Detective Comics. So another thing that I really loved was there's this line when Bruce like first gets locked up where Barbara asks him, Bruce, why are you doing this? What does it achieve? And his response is basically, I can't have the police looking at, at Bruce Wayne for these murders and Batman for everything else. So I need you to solve the murder so that I can be let free, but in the meantime, the police have to believe that I am working with them and that I am not- I am not a threat or anyone to be alarmed by. So he goes and turns himself in and spends 
the night or a couple days or whatever it is in jail. And I love that kind of glimpse into his way of thinking because he doesn't necessarily see Bruce Wayne as a person. Bruce Wayne is a strategy. His thought process there is, I lock myself up, I put myself off to the side, and it will save me trouble later. So I just thought that was really interesting too. And in addition to this, possibly one of my favorite parts about it, and one of my favorite parts about the issue in total, is that one of the side effects of being locked up in jail overnight or over the weekend or what have you is that it forces Bruce to just sit there for time. He can't do anything, he can't be Batman, he can't go fight people or hack into something so that he can fight people later. He's just, he has to just sit and relax, even if said relaxing is happening in a jail cell. Um, I think that he should get to nap and have time to just sit around more. Like, you look at the, the panels and he is, he's leaning back against the wall. He is chilling out for perhaps the first time in his life, or at least his adult life. So maybe that's just me, but I really appreciated getting to see him quote unquote unwind for an issue. Um, it's comforting to know that um, at least sometimes he has the time to do that, even if he only has the time to do that when it's strategically important that he do so. Okay, now I want to talk a bit about Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, which I actually mentioned on my Instagram the other day as a, like, comic wreck of the week, but because this is, or earlier this week was National Spider-Man Day, I'm still not sure why it was that, but August 1st was National Spider-Man Day, and I love Spider-Man, so I'm not exactly going to complain about this, but... I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, which was... Oh, this this one was just such a delight. Like, Peter Parker is, first of all, not the only Spider-Man. I love Miles just as much, but Peter Parker is one of my favorite Marvel characters, and I thought this run sort of really captures the heart of Peter in every way, and it was so clear to me from like, the second that you pick up the first issue, how great it's going to be. I mean, the first ten pages alone, in my opinion, are a masterwork in establishing Peter's character. So I don't want to go into too much detail and bore you all to death with it if you haven't read it, and also I think you all should read it, so I don't want to spoil everything that happens, but sort of what are the characteristics that you think of when you think of Peter Parker? For me, he's selfless. He's super smart. He's very sort of quippy and jokey. He's just a little bit of an idiot. He's very human, personable, and down to earth, which is part of what makes him such a wonderful character. But he's also very loyal to people and to New York, and he's very responsible and wants to take care of them, but he's friendly too, which is also why this is called Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. And so... The beginning of this issue, like I said, the first 10 pages, I think, establishes sort of all of these things so well as he saves a family from falling off a bridge. But in doing so, it's like, like the, the opening few pages, the reason that this car falls is there's a car going over a bridge and um, the, oh, the, the narration boxes. 
So it's like, really, it was only a matter of time before this happened. The quote-unquote two-day pothole repair on the bridge is in its third month. They found a pipe issue when they were fixing the pothole. Then they found a structural issue. Then they found... You get the idea. Before the bridge, there are multiple lanes that have become a lab... A labyrinthine mess of confusing and contradictory signs. Merge left, but not after 2 p.m. Or if you're Sagittarius. So, this is third page of the book. And... It is establishing the disaster that is currently happening that Peter is about to save, but I love it because it shows how connected, how truly connected he is to the neighborhood. He knows what's going on here. This is his home and his city, and it. I just love it because it's immediately so clear how much this city and its people mean to him, and how closely he watches over it. He's not like the Avengers or the Guardians of the Galaxy or even the Fantastic Four who are in space a lot who are dealing with sort of global disasters and invasions from space frequently he is a street level hero who looks out for the people in New York and that is his specialty that is where he thrives so I just I feel like it's established so well and even what I just read to you like That was me opening a random page, and that was what was on it. Um, And sort of the whole book is like that. Later, he saves his family, and there's a little girl. It's a little girl and her dad. And so he's holding little girl because he swung her from where he saved her off a bridge. She goes and squishes the spider on his chest, thinking it's a real spider. And it's just such an adorable and sweet scene. And the dad apologizes for it and then tries to give Peter money as a thank you. And this is one of my favorite parts because, or one of my favorite parts of the opening of the first issue. But, um, because Peter turns it down and he doesn't just turn it down. He thinks about it. I mean, he, he immediately turns it down, but there's a narration bubble that shows he kind of thinks about it. He's like, it would certainly help. And... I'm sure Iron Man accepts tips because you don't become a millionaire by not accepting free money or something like that. And it's just, as a reader, you know how much Peter needs that money because him being poor is pretty much a surefire part of his character. Every single time from his first issue, he is struggling with money. It's a huge part of who he is. So him turning this down, we know how much that sort of means to him. He does it anyway because that's not why he is Spider-Man. It's not why he does what he does. And more than that, he goes on to be like, if you want to repay me, instead of offering me money, give as much as you can to the homeless people down the street who Peter not only says give it to them, but he knows those people. He looks out for them as well because this is his neighborhood and they are the people that live in it. So I just think it's just one of the greatest introductions to Peter Parker's character ever. To me, kind of like, in a way, this almost... There are so many great Spider-Man stories, but this is almost like the quintessential Peter Parker along with, like, PS4 Spider-Man, which is another version of him that I just think hits the nail on the head and captures him so well. And in addition, I really love 
the art. There's a handful of different artists and I think they all do such a great job and it just, it's got such like a cheerful, playful vibe to it that I think fits the book so well, especially a book like this that is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man focusing on the neighborhood and it's a very personable story. It's not nearly as much of a world-changing, world-saving book. It is very down-to-earth and a little bit more low-key. So I think that this art is just fits that so well. It's so much fun and Spider-Man is so silly and kind and I just feel like this art represents Spider-Man so well as well. Um, now I don't have a whole lot of time left and I really don't want to spoil the whole book for you, but I kind of just want to go over briefly some of my favorite stuff to happen in it because they bring in the Prowler for a handful of issues, which is probably my favorite arc in the, the run, that and the MJ story, which I was kind of waiting the whole time for them to bring MJ in, and then when they did, it was exactly perfect, like, everything I had wanted from an MJ story. But, okay, back to Hobby Brown. So, again, to me, his few issues were sort of just exactly who Peter Parker should be and what Spider-Man should represent. So, I super enjoyed reading those, and part of that was because at this point, Hobby is mostly retired, but gets back, gets involved again in crime trying to help someone he cares about. And you know that this is strong because Peter's first reaction to figuring out that it is the Prowler is to go knock on Hobby's door and ask him about it, which, again, something I love about Peter is that he will do that. He knows a lot, he knows who a lot of his villains are, and he sort of, especially Hobby, who isn't really a bad guy anymore, but in general tends to kind of give his villains the benefit of the doubt and wants to work with them and figure out what the problem is and make it better. He wants to actually solve it instead of just putting them away. Which is great because it not only shows the character of Peter Parker, but it also kind of, one of the things I really like about that approach is that it kind of addresses the very classic Batman question of, well, won't they just break out again and cause more harm? Isn't it better to just kill them? Which Batman's and P Peter Parker's and many other superheroes' response is staunchly, no, that makes us just like them. Um, but I love how clear it is with Peter Parker, particularly in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, where he talks to them and he tries to fix it first because that is how you actually stop these people from doing more harm is you get them other solutions and you give them second chances and you let them prove themselves worthy and come around to being good instead of just continuously beating them up and locking them up again. So I think that that's a lot of fun and really special and like I said, I highly recommend this book. I forgot to mention earlier, but it is um, by Tom Taylor, so Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man by Tom Taylor. It's also on my Instagram. A lot of fun and a 
great way, in my opinion, to celebrate this week being National Spider-Man Day. And that's all the time I have for this show. Thanks so much for listening. Again, my name is Dinah, and this is Thought Bubbles on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Next week, I'm going to be talking about, most likely, the early Amazing Spider-Man and Journey into Mysteries I've been reading. So look out for that. And if you're interested in more information or any comic books that I recommend reading, check out my Instagram, thoughtbubbles.kuci. Feel free to look for me there or reach out if you have any questions about my show or want to talk about comic books. And that's it for now. See you all next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.